Welcome to the latest edition of DF Direct Weekly. It is our weekly show where we talk about the latest gaming and technology news, which has proven problematic in recent weeks due to the lack of gaming and technology news. But good news, uh, people are starting to talk again. Things are happening, announcements are being made, new features are being deployed, all good stuff. Packed show today. Joining me, first of all, John Linneman. <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> we're here again. Uh, and yes, yeah, as you say, this week has a ton of stuff to talk about. Uh, and I'm, you know, let's get into it then. And of course, he does love to talk, Alex Batalia. <laughs> oh, that sounds kind of negative. I love you too, Rich. Oh, we, uh, <laughs> we love when, when Alex talks. Um, I'm excited about uh, talking about VRR here because it's been a long time coming and we wanted it and it's here. So it's good. <laughs> it's not negative at all, Alex. Believe me, in a weekly, in a weekly news talk show, talking is a very good thing. It's very positive. <laughs> Keep gabbing. <laughs> okay, first news topic. So this one is interesting. Finally, uh, PlayStation 5 has received the uh, eagerly awaited uh, variable refresh rate feature, which essentially allows the GPU to take control of when uh, your display updates with a new frame, which means that um, typically you games that used to have screen tearing won't have screen tearing, and uh, games that used to have VSync judder no longer have VSync judder. It's the way forward. We've been looking for it for some time. It's been a feature on Xbox for a long time now. Um, Five years, is it? Yeah. It's it's definitely a Four long years? time. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Uh, but fundamentally, um, uh, it's a way not just to smooth the way, uh, smooth off uh, games that have performance issues, but as we've discovered with this, it also allows for the introduction of new features, which I think is is, is quite interesting. I'm going to go to you first on this one, John, because you've spent the most time testing it. That's right. So I have tested it. I have answers to the various questions about how it works. Uh, there has been some confusion around it. So let's dive in. Uh, initially, when, when it was announced that it's hitting, there was the initial mention of, okay, these games have patches. That to add VRR, and people were, were worried that it wouldn't be system-wide, although it does specify that you can force it later in the document. It is system-wide. It does work with almost everything, so that is good to begin with, but there is a reason why the patches are also good, uh, and let's talk about all that. So firstly, the VRR function, when system-wide, ultimately you can't force uh, a refresh rate higher than what the game supports. So if a game is 60 hertz, it's capped at 60 hertz, right? So that that's difference one with the way Xbox works. And this is important because higher refresh rates are necessary for maximum low frame rate compensation. And what that is, is essentially it accounts when frames are drawn outside of the VRR range. It can do duplicate, triplicate frames and essentially do some trickery on the GPU side to sort of work around that. And Xbox is really good at that. And there's a reason why this is important because on PlayStation 5, we've discovered that the VRR solution is based directly on the HDMI forums, HDMI 2.1 solution, which has a range of 48 to 60 Hertz when in 60 Hertz output mode, which means the floor for PS5 is 48 frames per second. When outputting 60 hertz on an Xbox, the floor is actually reduced to 40 frames per second. So I think with that said, we should first talk about probably the game that everybody wants to know about, and it's Elden Ring, right? So Elden Ring is not on the list of patches. 
it is a game that just runs on PS5 naturally. If you force VRR on your PS5, you will get VRR support in Elden Ring, just like Xbox. But the caveat here is that the 48 frames per second lower limit can actually introduce some issues. So what do I mean? So let's say you're playing at 60 hertz on Xbox, right? And you got that 40 to 60 range. When you're in the performance mode, most of the time, your frame rate will always fall between 40 and 60. It can actually occasionally fall below that, but it's rare. Uh, but 40 and 60 covers it, which means as long as you're in that range, you get the smoothing benefits of VRR. With PlayStation 5, it does run a little bit faster, as we know from the frame rate tests, but it can actually dip below 48 frames per second, which is the PS5's minimum. What that means for you then is that when the frame rate bounces between that, that sort of floor area, it'll snap in and out of VRR, essentially. Like your display's still in VRR mode, but you lose the benefits of VRR when it drops below that. So it'll look perfectly smooth until you cross that threshold, and then it's back to being juddery. So that is basically limitation one. But I will say that it does help a lot in Elden Ring. Uh, it's not perfect, but it definitely does make the game much, much, much better. Um, so, but I would still say that in this case, if you have the Xbox version, I still think it's the better option. Right, simply because you have a, a wider VRR window, therefore fewer dropouts. But here's the thing on Xbox, you can force 120 hertz mode on any game. And I don't normally like this unless the game really needs VRR because let's say you have a 60 frames per second game and you're outputting 120 hertz. What happens is you essentially get a double image. It's, it's displaying the frame twice for each update. And this actually increases the perception of persistence blur, which I try to fight against anyway. So it makes games blurrier basically. But on the flip side, it means that the VRR range can be lowered even further down to like, I think it's like 20 hertz. Is that right? Something pretty low in that region, yeah. It's very yeah. low, which means using low frame rate compensation there, Xbox can essentially cover all possible frame rate variations in Elden Ring, including if you use the quality mode, which is around 30 to 40 FPS usually. So if you're, if you're doing that, if 120 hertz output, Elden Ring, either mode, VRR covers every possible scenario, whereas on PlayStation, that is not possible, right? So that is sort of use case one, an unsupported game running at 60 hertz. Um, I think we should talk about the Insomniac games because this is the thing, right? This is the, the key distinction between the Xbox implementation and Sony's implementation, which is Xbox is all really taken care of at the system level. There mm -hmm. have been some titles that have specific VRR modes, uh, Flight Simulator, Dying Light, but um, it's not, well, when we spoke to Asobo Studio, they had to use a kind of heuristic algorithm to discover whether VR was actually on or not. It wasn't a bespoke uh, system level call Correct. to see whether VR was active. But what's happening with the um, patches that are coming out, and the best ones are from Insomniac Games, is that Insomniac are continuing this amazing tradition of seeing what can these new what can these new displays do, what new modes and features can we add to the game? So whether you're talking about Spider-Man Remastered, which is the one I played, or Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, or Miles Morales, all of them have these forward-looking, innovative display features that sort of began with uh, the 40 hertz fidelity mode support, which is now available in uh, the Spider-Man titles, by the way. 
And um, but also they've said to themselves, well, what does VR mean? What can we do with this? And so, John, they've made a few changes to pretty much all of the modes when they run under VRR, right? That's correct. And as you say, that's the benefit here is developers can specifically target VRR now, which is an interesting option. And on Xbox, it is possible, but it requires sort of some trickery since the games are not inherently aware of whether that feature is toggled on or off at the moment. So basically on Spider-Man or any of these Insomniac games, when you're connected to a VRR display, um, the game opens up new options, essentially. So... As always, you can toggle between 60 and 120 hertz mode. This was something they added to support 40 hertz, and this is actually why they're able to do VRR so effectively, because they are using 120 hertz and they have their own solution to low frame rate compensation. So whether you're in fidelity mode or either performance mode, you actually get a boost. But what you see varies. So in the two performance modes, right? Those are the ones that actually are allowed to run above 60 frames per second. And in each case, the range we found is roughly 70 to 120 FPS, kind of averaging around 90 to 100 FPS, I'd say, in that range. Uh, in all three games, by the way. And it's the same for both performance ray tracing mode and performance mode. And the reason they're basically the same is just that the resolution in performance ray tracing mode is quite a bit lower than the normal performance mode, right? So you're giving up pixels for decent ray tracing. And by the way, I think they implemented the enhanced reflections into Spider-Man now. If you remember, Ratchet originally launched with quarter res reflections for RT. And then they added in that sort of um, the checkerboard solution where it's like half res and they checkerboard it up to 4K. So it looks suitably native res. And I think that's now in Spider-Man as well, which is really cool. Um, so... Those modes basically feel very, very smooth. The very high frame rate. It's not a locked 120 by any means, but you're getting the benefits of a high frame rate. And that's a perfect example of what you would want with a VRR supported game. This is actually what Dying Light 2 does, by the way, when it gets up to the 90 to 100 frames as well on Xbox. Um, so mm -hmm. that's that. The fidelity mode, however, that also has the frame rate cap removed. Um, but... This is where they're using low frame rate compensation. So essentially they're doubling or tripling frames. Um, and, you know, with VRR, obviously the persistence isn't necessarily fixed for each frame, but they're able to use the full 120 hertz container to display more frames without bumping into the 48 hertz limitation, right? And this is why there has been some confusion as far as what the TVs are telling people. Because what you'll see on your little like VRR analysis window on your TV isn't actually representative of the frame rate. Some displays will just say 120 FPS or whatever. Some will actually say something like, let's say the game's running at 43 frames per second. It'll actually report like 86 because it's like doubling the frames, right? Uh, so I understand why that creates confusion. But in reality, what we've seen is, I think it's like, what, 40 to 50 frames per second on average, Rich? Yeah, when pretty using much, this yeah. Mode? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, we have got the ability to log the refresh rates thanks to an Elgato capture device, the HD60X. Yep. And um, yeah, essentially, you can see from those refresh rates that it's way beyond the capabilities of the fidelity mode, but perfectly within the, uh, the capabilities of fidelity mode if you half if you half the refresh rate or, uh, or or divide it to one third, if it's at 120. 
So yeah, that's the way that works really. But yeah, I think we can, it's probably like a theoretical 40 to 60 on fidelity mode, but it is, it is higher. Um, but yeah, this is really interesting stuff. We should probably talk, take some more questions from uh, supporters here. Uh, this one from Jonas Larsen Tagizade. Why do you see Judder slash Stutter in some PS5 games, even when VRR is set to on in unsupported games, and the frame rate is within the 40 to 60 FPS window? For example, in crowded areas in Cyberpunk. Well, this is this is quite an interesting one because obviously. It's not really about frame rate, it's about frame time. And um, one thing VRR can't really do is smooth over the worst of stutter. So if your frame time is is very high, then, you know, basically that can't be um, adjusted by VRR. It's still, it's still going to stutter. And I suspect that's prob- probably what's happening here. It's just Cyberpunk. like with, with all the uh, shader comp stutters that Alex runs into, and uh, malines, VRR cannot save those, right? Even though they're very brief, the the spikes are too significant. But there's actually another possible answer, and this is going to vary from game to game. Uh, So one of the games that they actually patched to support VRR is Deathloop. Um, The problem with Deathloop, I found, is that in this specific game, when the frame rate is not at one of the fixed intervals, like 30, 60, or 120, uh, there's a problem with the way the camera motion is interpolated where it doesn't look co- completely smooth, right? And this is actually kind of, it's not just camera, but this is kind of the reason why Halo Infinite also doesn't work with VRR because both games technically do support it. You'll see the frame rate adjusting, but the actual motion you see is not smooth. It's not consistent with VRR when it dips below the target frame rate. And in both cases, that is something inherently wrong with the game rather than the actual implementate or, you know, with VR itself, right? So there is definitely going to be an element of your mileage may vary based on what the game itself is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, another one, of course, Flight Simulator has a VRR mode, which essentially unlocks the frame rate if VRR is active. But because there's so many CPU related yeah. issues in that game, the hitching and the stuttering there can't really be smoothed out. Also, uh, Flight Sim specifically is the one of the first games that's all confusing people. It's basically like the Ratchet and Clank fidelity mode, where you'll see reports of like up to 120 FPS if you're looking at your uh, frame rate graph on or the readout on your display, but it's not actually running at a frame rate that high. You're seeing yep. low frame rate compensation, so it's the same a third thing or there. half of that. Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I do want to mention one more game, by the way, just as, a, as an aside, because I think it's interesting, and that's Ghostwire Tokyo. Because this game, before release, we, we noted it has like six modes, and four of those modes enable the 120 hertz option on the system, and two of them have just nonstop screen scaring. So this is a game that doesn't have a patch for VRR, but it immediately benefits from it. If you enable it, it does exactly what I had predicted it would do in that video in that it completely just solves the problem. So that game basically runs in the 80 to 100 FPS mode or frame rate when it's in those modes and VRR smooths it out. So it looks great. So that's an example of a game you definitely want to use it with. Uh, another interesting question here from Paul Kalamata. Is VRR that relevant to console gaming currently, given that games this gen all seem to have modes that lock to either 30 or 60? 
Or could there be a future where VRR becomes a standard feature for all televisions and console games? Gaming moves away from fixed rate targets to unlocked frame rates. Uh, so, yeah, I, I put this question in, John, because um, when we were talking about PS5 VRR, you were saying, well, most of the games run at 50 or sorry, 30 or 60 or, or 120 even anyway. Do we really need it? So I'm wondering if your opinion has changed now you've actually gone hands on. I feel that by and large, it's so we should talk about why you'd want to use it and when, because this is actually not something you necessarily need to turn on for every game. And I certainly do not because there are drawbacks. Uh, but essentially, I think what Insomniac is doing here is the perfect example of what VRR should offer, where they they have modes that target stable frame rates for those that do not have VRR displays. Um, and then if it detects that you're using VRR, they essentially loosen up on some things like um, you, you either uncap the frame rate or you are less aggressive with your dynamic resolution scaling because you can now absorb those hits. Essentially, it's like an optional mode specifically for those displays. I think that is key because I do not like VRR just as a crutch, right? Like the fact that it has to be used with Elden Ring is actually not a good thing, right? Like the game doesn't run well on on anything and that's not something uh, i think is great uh and it's like vrr basically is there to save the day in cases where it's bad but i don't think that we should just be okay with that and part of the reason stems from so there is actually drawbacks to using vrr in any display or on many displays so first of all for me obviously the big one is you can't use black frame insertion when using vrr uh which is a shame that's, I think there might be a couple PC displays that kind of allow it. And on the LG CX, you can actually do it with Dolby Vision. But if your frame rate dips below like 100 FPS, it causes flashes so bad that I'm surprised there hasn't been a lawsuit because it's like, it's basically like, you know, uh, seizure triggering. It's really, it's, it's not good. It's really, <laughs> so that's a problem. But essentially no black frame insertion. That's a downside. But more importantly, I've actually seen some people commenting, hey, John, I, I turn on VRR on my PS5 and now my games look worse. What's going on? And I found out in most cases they're using LCD displays. And the problem there is that on most LCDs, possibly, I, I, there's got to be some exceptions, but most that I'm aware of, uh, the high-end LCDs rely on something called full array local dimming, where they use dimming zones behind the backlight so you can adjust the backlight's sort of intensity based on the content being shown. And this is how you achieve good black levels on an LCD panel. With VRR, that essentially goes off. And suddenly your contrast is bad. You lose all the benefits of, of local dimming. Sometimes even just using game mode can cause that to happen anyway. So, you know, it may not matter for some people, but there's definitely cases where you enable VRR, you lose this feature, now your picture quality is worse. And in those cases, I don't recommend leaving it enabled unless your game has a serious issue that warrants it, right? So it's definitely a case-by-case -case thing where you need to look at whether the game actually either has problems that need fixing or has like a high frame rate mode that can take advantage of it when deciding what to use. Okay, fair enough. So mm -hmm. Alex, <laughs> uh, you're I'm sorry, I thought... I have a lot to say about this because I kept testing it, but please go ahead. Yeah, I can't so, even so Alex, you, uh, you've probably been sitting back there thinking, uh, wasn't I doing all of this back in 2013? 
Uh, with G- yeah, I mean, it is, it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time. G-Sync's awesome. Um, it's been around for a while, so it's really good to see it coming to the console space in a more full, full yeah. way. Um, and uh, one thing I wanted that, that John didn't mention, but it's important for those in the audience who have issues with input latency is that uh, in games that use uh, triple buffering setups, which is nearly all of them, uh, these days that when you're using uh, VRR, even if the game's hitting 60, you're going to see reductions in input latency uh, because you're not it's not having to queue the frames in the exact same way it had to do under a traditional vSync setup. So there are benefits even for games uh, that are hitting 60, but you have to take into account if you're not on an OLED uh, like John is, you may be making some serious image quality sacrifices. Um, and even then, Alex, on, on OLED, there is still issues with slight flickering in black regions or the gray areas on very specific content. It's not really been a big deal for me, but if you played something like The Medium on Xbox, it has just the right type of shadow detail that VRR causes flickering. So that's something else to consider. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, issues that can pop up uh, for games that were designed around fixed refresh rates primarily, and then all of a sudden uh, they're not anymore. And so that's one reason uh, this is, I don't think this is a question here, but there was discussion online, does this fix Bloodborne? Uh, <laughs> and the answer is no. Unfortunately, it really doesn't because the, well, the thing that John talked about, about the 60 hertz mode, right? Well, like, Alex, it, it actually, actually help us. this is another important key thing to mention. Uh, it does not apply VRR to PlayStation 4 software. Mm, okay, so that's only kind of PS5 different. games. And that sounds okay. bad at first, but if you actually look at the games that PS4 games that run on PS5, it pretty much maxes out, out the cap on every one of them, by and large. Yeah, so part. like you yeah. don't actually need VRR for most PS4 games, and VR wouldn't fix Bloodborne anyway. So yeah, yeah, fair enough. It would fix Bloodborne on Xbox though. No, That's it would not. You sure? LFC one hundred percent, one hundred percent does not. Really? Because Dark Souls um, three has this uh, cap, I believe. And it doesn't fix it there. Yeah, well, that that has FPS FPS boost now. So, well, but I mean, yes, it's true. But it, yeah, if you tested it before, we could yes. see that VRR couldn't actually solve but, the problem. But what you could do was switch the console into 120 hertz mode, and those 16 millisecond spikes yep. would become 8.3 millisecond spikes. Doesn't fix it, but it makes it look a little better. Slightly for sure. mitigates it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is there any reason why it doesn't work, though? Because based upon, like, G-Sync on PC, you should get 30, like, at 30 FPS, like, the way I understand, the way it's always worked with LFC and G-Sync on 120 hertz or 144 hertz or 65 hertz monitors, <laughs> is that when you get that low, even in the 30 range, you should still see a normal frame time graph because it's compensating with I know I know you should but there there's something they are doing specifically with their engine that is not allowing it to work I don't know why <laughs> okay okay well look, there's much to discuss here and uh, we shall discuss it but let's move on to our next topic um, so we're going to be staying with the concept of adjustable refresh rates on display uh, because uh, on the the day that we are filming this valve has just dropped an update for Steam Deck that allows users not to have uh, VRR. It's not VRR. It's it's like SVR, but it's <laughs> static <laughs> refresh rate. Um, SRR, if you like. SRS, uh, static rate shading. <laughs> so <laughs> you see, what I'm loving about Steam Deck is that the functionality of the device weeks on from launch is still being enhanced. And uh, we've had a couple of updates this week. 
Uh, the key one, first of all, is that now you can adjust the refresh rate of the, of the Steam Deck screen to be anything between 40 to 60 frames per second. So it won't be variable like VRR. You define what the, uh, the new VSync limit is effectively, and it can be between 40 to 60 frames per second. Um, that's one enhancement that they've made. Secondly, uh, I'm not really sure you can really call it a major feature, but it's certainly an interesting feature. Um, uh, VRS, hardware VRS can be forced on in order to reduce image quality, but to uh, notionally improve battery life. So Alex, you've, you've, you've certainly looked at the, uh, the VRS side of things. What are your thoughts? Uh, so I'm, I'm sitting here with my Steam right now. I just updated it. Uh, so I'm looking at to see what the heck it is. And the refresh, I don't know if you can see that on the stream there, but it, there is actually a little refresh rate um, thing. You can yep. actually adjust mm -hmm. it between 40, between 40 and 60 it is right here. That's very interesting. Yeah, and you can, um, you can adjust but, it. because So it's not just 40 or 60. It, it can be yeah. any, any refresh rate between 40 and 60. 45 is, is a really nice sweet spot if you're used to 45 60. would be great, yeah. Um, so uh, I tried out, but, but before that, there's also the half rating shape. Uh, little option you can t toggle on and off there. And basically, I'm actually generally surprised this works. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that at all, that, it, that you could just do this, but I guess so. Um, it, it basically is using the fact that, or abusing the fact that games are just, you know, they're running certain things at a shading rate that's going through the hardware, and it uses the ability of what VRS does, which is the ability to degrade the image uh, into a coarser pixel shading rate. Uh, it uses that and abuses that, and you can turn off, turn it on so the entire screen is using a half shading rate. Um, so two by two blocks of what would have originally been one by one blocks. And I tried it out in two games, and my experience there is this is extremely niche uh, of a use case, uh, because if you think about it, <laughs> you, you don't really want the entire screen being half rate shaded um, for so many reasons. And it's and it seems it's not just the screen. It's applying it to all uh, objects uh, or anything that has like its own separate buffer where it's being shaded. And it can create a lot of issues, actually. Um, so it's, it's not very useful uh, in the traditional sense. You'll see, like if you've seen a VRS title before and you've seen it and you know what like an, a decimated VRS block looks like, imagine that, but the entire screen. And um, that, I mean, maybe you're fine with that um, because, you know, this screen is only so big and you're, you can be sitting a bit further away from it. Maybe. Um, but the thing is, I found it in Crisis Remastered is where I tried it out in one of the titles. And when I was GPU limited at my optimized settings there, uh, targeting 1280 by 720 or 1280 by 800, it was really only reclaiming a few frames per second for an incredible uh, deduction in visual quality. So it's not there. Um, but maybe it has its place uh, for some of you out there who are really looking for better battery life, because it will definitely help battery life mm -hmm. uh, to a degree. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, that's the way that is. That's the way it lands for me. Maybe I'll try it out in some other game and highlight it at some point in a video. But the thing that I actually do find much more interesting is indeed this refresh rate option, because as I found with uh, Crisis Remastered, my first Steam Deck video, 60 FPS wasn't there. 
I don't like 30 FPS really these days at all, um, but I kind of just did it for the sake of the video and the purpose of what the Steam Deck is. But I think 40 actually uh, is going to be a key win for that title. And for other titles, based upon how heavy they are on the GPU and the CPU, you could probably get away with something like the 40 to 50 range that Rich was just talking about, like 45. And seeing an incredible increase in visual response and input response, uh, not, you know, it's not perfect 60 looking, but it still is much better. But also it would fit well within the power and uh, performance that the Steam Deck can offer because 60 FPS is a little too much for many titles. But below that, you've, you can always see it happening. Uh, the one question is, and maybe this will be my video for next week, is examining this because it is actually very interesting. And I think it probably does deserve its own topic is to, I don't know if I can film it. Um, but to just describe the difference, we've never really seen a game running at a 40 hertz refresh rate. I haven't. I don't know if you guys have. Like, Well, the closest John? has been, obviously, Ratchet uh, running at 40 frames per second within a 120 hertz container, Yeah, which is awesome. You know, I, I know what that looks like, um, but I have never seen a 40 hertz refresh rate, let alone a 43 hertz refresh <laughs> rate. Uh, so... I don't know if it looks good. I don't know if it looks bad. I'm, I'm really curious about it. So I want to talk um, about my that. My first Maybe impressions are really positive. I played uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, which uh, I was running at 30. And uh -huh. um, uh, you could tell, well, because TSR uh, works really well on that, you've got a lot of GPU overhead uh, in a lot of places. And, uh, you know, I ran it up to 40, 45. 40 seemed to be the sweet spot for that game. Uh, then I tried Ghost Runner, which is lock 60, really, if you if you use FSR. Uh, what you can do is go down to 45 there, and it still looks awesome. You can turn off FSR, improve image quality. So, you know, what I'm loving about this is that you're just getting new options and uh, new options to that could potentially either save battery life or um, basically retain... Uh, visual fidelity without needing to drop to necessarily to 30 you know rather than dropping to 30 go to 40 instead uh, the other thing that's quite interesting about it is that the frame rate cap uh, options change depending on the refresh rate <laughs> so uh, 60 obviously you could drop down to 30 50 you could drop down to 25 uh, oh, the, the, the old PAL experience. The old PAL experience, but it should look <laughs> consistent, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah, basically more options for, for the Steam Deck, more ways to get uh, more battery life or more ways to push the processor more while still getting a really consistent experience. Also, so I wonder awesome. if this could, if if you were using like emulation like on MAME or something, which I assume works on the Steam Deck, uh, some of those arcade games have very strange refresh rates that you usually need to use um, G-Sync or something to overcome. Right. But mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you could use the Steam Deck's, uh, you know, adjustment of the refresh rate to actually kind of match it. Well, it, it is it is granular, but not quite to the same level of granularity. It, it can't cover like 60.3175. No, no, no. no. I know that. But, you know, this like Mortal Kombat, I think, is like 43 hertz or something <laughs> or 45. or I actually forget exactly. No, not not that low. It's like 53 hertz, I think. Right. OK. So it's like a really weird number. The like classic that. locked 53 FPS experience. <laughs> Se Sega model, model 3 and 2 arcade games are like 57.5 hertz. Right. Mm. OK. Well, you, you would get less stutter. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can I, minimize I stutter. Yeah. Okay. So I am. I literally just. <laughs> I literally just tried it. Forty hertz. 
It looks pretty okay. I'm generally shocked oh, awesome. that, it, that it looks okay. The only issue I'm noticing is that when it does frame drop, it, it does feel a little bit yes, little intense. Obviously, because uh, yeah, well, <laughs> it's still V-Sync. Uh, when you get a frame drop, you'll get like, you know, double the uh, persistence. So right. it will, the lower you yeah. the lower you push the refresh rate of the panel, the higher the frame time spikes will be when you have a drop frame. Yeah, I think 45 would be really interesting to look at. What, one thing though that, I mean, I'm a little curious about, they're achieving this on such a quick to switch level that I am wondering, I mean, John, you've talked about it before with the FW900 that people are hacking in VR. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm really curious if something like that is possible here because right? the fact that this is working at all is just genuinely I was kind of wondering that cool, too. man. Like it's, <laughs> it's yeah. interesting. What do, you, what do you wonder? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, so we've actually got two topics on the docket here that are closely related to the same topic, which is essentially Sony's upcoming uh, revised uh, subscription tier structure. Uh, I'm going to go to the more interesting of the two stories first, which is uh, the <laughs> it's come to light through a tweet that um, Sony is putting together a preservation group. And um, yeah, essentially one of the team mem uh, members tweeted, hey, I'm going to be joining the Sony PlayStation Preservation Group. There's no details on what the Preservation Group actually is, but one might surmise that it's related to the um, uh, to the backwards compatible games that are going to be appearing in the, uh, in the lineup for the new PlayStation Plus. So we've been quite um, uh, sort of outspoken in our criticism of how yeah. Sony has been uh, curating its it's it's back catalog john what 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 does this all say to you i'll be honest uh a lot of people were thinking that as well but from my perspective to me it sounds more like an internal preservation group where it's not necessarily about presenting stuff to the consumer as much as internally preserving games data code whatever um in a way that maybe you could say like Nintendo, for instance, has a really strong preservation team internally and they, they, they keep everything right. But that doesn't yeah. mean that they release it all to the public and there's it, no it indication. It does open the door to, to projects like the virtual console and stuff, I guess. Oh, absolutely. It can help on some things for sure. I mean, it has in the past, so there is definitely some potential benefits, but I don't think that this will necessarily like, I've seen people jump into the conclusion like, oh, they're going to do PS3 emulation now and stuff like that. <laughs> and it's like, I no, I, don't, I really don't think it's referencing that. So I kind of feel like this is nothing that, I mean, it's something, like it's good that they're doing this, but I don't think it's like some anything related to uh, upcoming features or their services or anything like that. Right, but at the same time, they do need to have better curation of their back catalogs. I mean, we've been talking about this for for a long time now. Um, essentially, oh, absolutely, you know, it's a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about how these uh, older games are going to present on the new uh, subscription service. I'm just hoping that a bit more thought has gone into it. But you know, I guess that's I guess that's the kind of like the the perception of this story is like, hey, well, maybe Sony is taking it more seriously, whereas you're suggesting that it might simply be an internal organization effort to better preserve the work that they're doing. And the two things could happen as well. Like the work that they do internally could indeed influence what they do publicly, right? So it's not to say that there's nothing happening there. 
Right. Uh, I just feel like people are getting their hopes up a little bit too quickly. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, the second story uh, related to the subscription service is this uh, interesting idea that on the premium tier, you're going to be able to have access to time-limited demos of everything, uh, essentially. Uh, the caveats being that, um, well, essentially the game has to have a retail cost above $35, in which case it's mandated that a time-limited playable demo will be available. And secondly, while it is a time-limited demo that must appear, it can actually appear within a three-month release window of the game coming out. So, you know, a bit, bit of a strange setup there, but it is the case that it's being mandated by Sony that you must make a time-limited sample of your game. Uh, John, what do you make of that? It's weird. I don't know. <laughs> I... I... I, I'm not, you know, I, wow, that's difficult. So I did see some suggestion that they have a team internally that's going to help make this possible because my first concern was, hey, like, this seems a little bit unfair to unload this upon these developers. They don't need this, right? But if there's a way to streamline it, then maybe that's not an issue. But I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just me, but the idea of locking, like, essentially demos behind a feature on your premium service seems really strange to me somehow oh it's not like, great is it i mean no like i mean that the whole point of demos was to like convince you to buy something right and it just it's a very strange sort of situation it's definitely not something that i'm that specifically interested in uh i mean ea kind of does this already on ea play services or whatever but they give you like a 10 hour trial which I can see why you wouldn't want to give 10 hour trial to everything. And in fact, that also might, you know, result in games being bloated, which is a problem with many modern games today. Uh, but still, I, I'm not really into this feature. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I think, uh, well, the question is, first of all, does this put any kind of extra effort on the developer to, you know, because obviously this is extra workload. It could just be this, simply the case that there's a timer. A ti I mean, we have seen these demos before, no, that, right? Rich, that's what I'm saying, though, is I saw online that it does look like Sony has an internal team to set this up. So right. hopefully it shouldn't be more work for the developers because if it was at all, then that's a, that's a real bum deal. But if it's just something that they can give to Sony and Sony can implement this like timer system on it, then I guess that part's fine at least. <laughs> Fair enough. It is a bit odd though, that if you want people to buy your game, then they've also got to subscribe at the highest possible subscription tier to get the sampler of the game. It's, it's kind of bit weird it seems a bit desperate almost but you know what can we say i mean we will be taking a look at the new subscri uh, subscription course, service yeah. as it appears and um we will be checking out the streaming to see whether that's improved but um yeah i guess that's all we can really say about that for now so we're going to round off the news this week with the latest in alex's <laughs> travails oh, no. with pc gaming at <laughs> alex's uh, hashtag <laughs> stutter struggle Re reaches new lows or rather frame time highs with <laughs> with Chernobylite. Chernobylite is actually a very well-made game in in many aspects. Um, I've been discovering it for myself. My video will be coming out. Um, I'm presuming before this video is live. I presume. I don't know. Uh, but uh, the whole point is that it's another Unreal Engine game. 
and I was told about it via our Discord. I had read about it before, but I didn't know anything about it. I didn't even know what it was about. I just assumed it was about Chernobyl, uh, or the, at least that area uh, of the world. <laughs> it would be a logical, uh, but, but I question. <laughs> a logical conclusion. Would it? The logical conclusion was that. Uh, maybe it wasn't. Who knows? But uh, so uh, the first question, like someone just writes about it on our Discord. Thank you so much. Uh, my second question is, okay, it's unreal. Is it stuttering? And they're like, well... <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. And the thing is, uh, it's just uh, it's just another in the long line of Unreal Engine games that, due to pushing DirectX 12, due to wanting to having uh, you know things like ray tracing features in there, I don't think uh, the developers maybe had as much. I don't know if the word is insight or wherewithal or all these things. There's so many, I don't know. I can't, I'm not behind the scenes there. I like wherewithal. But, I think I we oh, should yeah, go with that. I don't know. Uh, the, the whole point is that when you load up the game DX12, and especially with ray tracing, um, the game is really, the intro is so brutally stuttery, really huge stutters. Uh, and it, it is a massive turnoff to what is otherwise, I would say, a really well-made and beautifully crafted game. And I find this a huge shame because... I don't know at this point in time because I'm seeing it so often in so many Unreal Engine titles that I don't know who to pass the, pass the blame to here anymore. Because uh, on one hand, this is why the stutter struggle is so complex and why the video that I want to make on this, this topic, it, when it comes out, it has to be really careful about what it's saying and what it's pointing to because it doesn't seem like the, the easiest, uh, like the easiest thing you can just always point the blame at is the developer here. Because from what I'm understanding, everything I'm reading about online, you could see the post that I made about this on Twitter. If you read under it, there's a lot of people who know either a lot about Unreal Engine there or their own engines, uh, saying like the blame is to lie here. The issue is here. Some people have worked on Unreal Engine titles and they are, have some very interesting opinions. And it doesn't seem at like this, at this point that it, you can only pass the blame to developers. Unfortunately, it feels like, uh, or it seems to be the case that um, whatever Epic is allowing the user to do when uh, shipping a title on PC, it is not either signposting, putting enough warnings out, or making the process of collecting the, the shader compilation log very easy for all game types, uh, let alone uh, setting up the creation process to pre-compile or asynchronously compile them. So. I'm really nervous now when I look at an Unreal Engine title. I'm having trouble to actually want to support <laughs> Unreal Engine titles on DF because every single one I've looked at for like the last year has had these issues. Some have fixed them over time that we've talked about before, the Ascent. Uh, Psychonauts 2 uh, apparently fixed them in its uh, both its Steam release and in its um, whatever they call the Windows Store these days, the Microsoft Store uh, version of the game, uh, whatever that's called. Uh, they fixed that there apparently too. But, you know, this is not good. And I don't think in the immediate near-term future, uh, at least the next 1.5 years, uh, unless there's some really large update to Unreal Engine and a changing of their documentation, I don't think we're going to see any headroom on this uh, at all. Because, you know, I'm just one lone person in the world making really angry videos about Stutter. Uh, it doesn't mean every developer is out there listening or let alone that Epic's going to change their process of how games are shipping on PC. So it's sad. Um, but uh, I think the gist of the story here is that uh, the video that I'm going to be working on here is going to have to be pretty careful about what I'm saying in it because I don't want to, one, uh, 
piss off developers who are actually struggling with something that is not easy to get a handle on. And also, it's it's the situation's not so clear um, in the end about where the ba- blame is always to pass on. I kind of get this impression that it's similar to... Um, so this feels like something where Epic should kind of try to address and establish like a best practices to overcome some of these issues. And I'm sure they already have yeah. this to some degree, but it's like with that Unity camera bug I mentioned last year where it was the 50 hertz update because the camera object was being tied to the rigid body physics object uh, and the physics only update by 50 hertz at default. And although you can increase the physics rate to fix it, you could also introduce interpolation. And interpolation for that was by default not on and there was no like clear indication from Unity, like, oh, this is what you should do to smooth this out. And as a result, we had a ton of games ship with this problem where basically the camera just looks jerky and bad when you play the game. And that's something like, yes, technically the developers could have fixed it, but I feel like some of the onus really lies with Unity or Unreal in this case of like said, like realizing where developers are having these troubles and trying their best to find a way to sort of uh, help them solve the problem. You know what I mean? But obviously the shader stuff is really complex. I understand. And it also sounds like there's, you know, it does come down. It gets worse when you have more complex shaders and you have tons and tons of materials and stuff to deal with. And it's also the kind of problem that seems very difficult to fix late. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like the kind of thing where you want to tackle this as early as possible, kind of like targeting a high frame rate on a console. Uh, and if you wait until the end to try to solve it, it might not be solvable or only partially solvable. So yeah, I, right. it's it's a really interesting, difficult problem indeed. Yeah, uh, you know, and the, the one thing that makes me so sad about this is it's now happened multiple times in a row where t- discussing about this issue because... I agree with um, the person who posted in this Twitter thread that I find this a very huge user experience detriment to the point where I just... Chernobylite is supposed to be a game that is supposed to be scary. It is supposed to be thought-provoking, but it misses all those beats in my mind because if the first scare in the game is also accompanied by like a 1.5 second stutter. Well, Alex, I would argue then like, that the fear and dread comes from <laughs> the stutters. Yeah, I know, right? Like it's the exact opposite. Maybe that's not the origin of the fear that they wanted to generate at that moment. Um, but it is, it is, uh, you know, games an art form, and if you're not, if there's a technical limitation in communicating your messaging and your pathos and all these things, well, that's a big issue, um, and especially if it's so widespread. So it's a shame that it affects Chernobylite in the end is what I want to say there. But I hope <laughs> in due time in the future that I'm not talking about this anymore. But for the moment, the struggle goes on. And Alex, it seems like it's not just Unreal Engine games shipping this way, right? No, it isn't. And that's no, the problem. No, like, I I, we've talked about this before, but there is a sense that the current state of PC gaming isn't actually that good right now like the hardware is super awesome but like so many big games these days like more than i i can recall are shipping where even if you have a powerful pc you can't brute through brute force through the issues yeah that's like so that's a really good point and i think there's maybe some economic and philosophical reasons why that's happening you know economic uh pc titles they ship them and they have certain expectations of sales and uh, in, invested time of development and all these things. Uh, but then there's also, in terms of the user experience philosophy, 
and the idea of brute forcing things that I think that there was for maybe a while at the end, especially the end of the PS360, Xbox 360 generation, and through parts of the Xbox One PS4 generation where honestly those CPUs uh, are so low rent uh, that, you know, you could get away with just having a really brute forced, uh, you know, it could, it could, your 2500K at five gigahertz could crunch through all the poor code. Um, but now as um, games become more complex and the CPU requirements are going to increase, as we saw with Unreal Engine 5's most recent city sample demo, uh, uh, that you cannot rely on uh, PC CPUs in their single-threaded form, at least, being f like four to five times more powerful than what you find on the consoles. You just can't rely on that anymore. So times are changing. I don't want developers to just um, say PCs should be able to brute force these things. I really think this should be a user experience issue that is tackled quite early on in a project. Yeah. Well, you know, I have two questions. Um... One for you and one just for game developers. The one for game developers is, you know, you must be able to see this stuff before it goes out, you know, particularly uh, the, the title you're talking about there where your first jump scare has a 1.5 second stutter. That yeah. is not a, sh uh, that is not a, a, a shippable title as far as I'm concerned if that issue is there. And mm -hmm. uh, was this on your high-end PC or...? It's on the high-end PC, right. so... I mean, know. you know, yeah. what about all those hundreds of thousands, possibly even millions of people out there with those Ryzen 5 3600s? You know, yeah, that's right. that's kind of scary, right? It's going to be longer and bigger there, the issue. So. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, my second question, um, which is for you, Alex, um, you've looked at it also on PS5, and how different is the experience there? Um. I've been focusing currently in my testing on the 30 hertz um, ray tracing uh, there. And the thing is, uh, it does not have any of the stutter issues uh, uh, that I've found so far in the areas where I found them on PC. Right. So Fixed platform, whatever... so pre-compiled everything. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But even then, it's not just a pre-compilation thing, uh, because I've found stutters as well that happen regardless of whether or not the, their shaders are detached. Um, well, that'll be in my video too. Uh, and I think the issue there is um, perhaps the way things are just default managed on the on the way uh, X64 Windows builds are shipped in, in uh, there. Uh, we've seen it before in the Unreal Engine 3 era pretty, pretty heavily where there would be games on console that didn't necessarily have stutter that you'd find on PC. And it's honestly just because UE3 wasn't the best product always on PC for certain game types. Um, they didn't invest the time there to fix the issues. Um, so I feel like we're seeing some of that as well there, unfortunately, this time around in Chernobyl. Okay. I mean, I don't really know how we can affect change uh, yeah. unless we kind of did a massive multi-channel campaign with Linus, Gamers, <laughs> Nexus, which, you know, we might have to consider at some point if, if yeah. these... The issues continue because it is now because of the prevalence of Unreal Engine, so many games. I mean, I think the first time which we really sort of started to take notice of it was Kenner Bridge of Spirits. Then it got a lot worse with Final Fantasy VII, but you did have the um, DX11 fallback there, at least. But you know, it is now virtually every Unreal Engine title that's coming along and. You know, stuff like Elden Ring is happening, which is really 
not great at all either. So, and you know what? The common thread there I see keep seeing is DirectX 12. So not not to blame DirectX 12 specifically, but the work that's being done with it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the one thing that is this. Okay, so one thing I tried to intimate this when I was doing that collaboration with Linus uh, tech groups there, but it is not technically limited to DX12. Uh, there is no. still shader compilation in DX11. It's just the method and how it's handled is slightly different. Uh, and usually the driver did a better job at that point in time than the, what developers could manage. Um, so, but you could see PSO compilation issues in a game, for example, like Shadow Warrior 3, which was DX11 by default. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, so it can still happen there. It's just really a matter of getting it down and it's just not its not the focus for a lot of developers at this moment always when it should be. And that's what we really need to get across here, that this is a huge user experience issue and really look into it, please, if you can. We also have to raise up the examples of games that do it right, like Doom Eternal. You know, yeah, it's Vulcan, right. it's super ultra fast, it has no stutters. I mean, they were boasting about a thousand frames per second targets and stuff. And it's true, you can just beast through that game. And it's just one of the most beautifully optimized PC games ever made. Yeah, and, you know, obviously there have been UE4 titles that have shipped in a perfectly fine state. I mean, obviously we can point towards Gears 5. That's about (laughs) it. (laughs) (laughs) We point towards Gears 5. That's about it, yeah. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Okay, well, that's that. That's it for the news this week. And we're going to plow on straight into uh, support to Q&A. And we're going to start with a question from Fiddler2K. Not really a question. Good start. <laughs> but can you cover the 900 watt Lovelace rumors? And he's oh. pointing to a, t- a, t- a tweet here from copheight 7 Kimmy, who is yes. a, uh, I'd say notorious, notorious? but actually yeah. very notorious, truthful leaker in that all of his leaks seem to come true. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's basically pointing towards some absolutely gigantic power levels being tested for the next generation NVIDIA architecture. They're talking about the top end offering. (laughs) There's apparently a version in development that does draw 900 watts, has 48 gigabytes of memory. I say bring back the external power brick. Voodoo 5 lives. (laughs) <laughs> right, and of course the uh, the second uh, GPU for Xbox One. If oh yeah, in the power it. brick. Also in the power brick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what That's do you good. make of this? I mean, uh, well, here's the thing, right? I mean, when John and I met the architect of Xbox Series consoles, he basically said, "Look, cost per transistor are staying static. That means that if you want more power, if you want more transistors, you need to pay for them. The alternative strategy." is to blast more power through <laughs> the transistors that Literally. you have to get more performance yeah. out of them. Uh, and I suspect that this particular rumor of this 900 watt uh, GPU, especially since it's apparently paired with 48 gigabytes of memory, it, if it, 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 might, it, it might exist. It, but equally, it may never become a final shipping product. Yeah. Uh, it could just be a test bed. Um, who knows? But I do expect yeah. to see power increasing um, on the next generation to blast through that extra performance. I think it's been confirmed at this point that the 3090 Ti PCB that went out is pin compatible with the next generation. That's designed to handle a lot of power. 
Um, mm-hmm. the, the thing is, the wattage <laughs> on leaks seems to be increasing uh, on an almost exponential curve. Yeah, it was like 400 originally, then it was 7, 650, then now it's 900. I mean, I don't know um, what to believe here, but I'm a little bit concerned about the state of PC power draw. Like, it just seems like, <laughs> like they're just reaching these astronomical levels here. Uh, well, so, like, <laughs> there's always there's always the Halo chips, and there's yeah, always yeah, the yeah. AIB partner yeah, chips. Of and, course. You know, like, the, the, it is an example, like, the RTX 3090, I find it a very power-hungry card. Um, it is. Uh, but at the same point... It is throttling uh, to keep within that, what is it, 350 watts maximum or something like that? Yeah, but that was the point uh, of the 3090 Ti, which was that right? you could remove that limit effectively and go much higher. You had a few more CUDA cores to play with, a bit more, I'm not sure if it was a bit more extra memory bandwidth, but whatever. Um, mm. But it did, you know, the performance to, to wattage ratio dropped like a stone after 350. It was just there yeah. for those that have got... Uh, extremely cheap energy i can assume or extremely deep pockets <laughs> but that is the kind of weird thing that's going on right which is that all of this is taking place within uh astronomical rises in energy prices what if you could like doesn't make sense set up a solar array in your house that's specifically piped to your pc for your gpu just the whole pc like your pc is just powered by solar yeah and you, and you only that. use it in the summer <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, you're in the UK, so I understand where that sentiment comes from. But yeah. <laughs> I think I'm just, you know, obviously this is concerning the the sort of upwards trend of wattage uh, that's apparently going to be happening on next generation uh, GPUs. Yeah. But I just bear in mind that there are going to be architectural improvements. Uh, mm-hmm. We are on a lower, um, a smaller process, and I can't see all of these gigantic rises in wattage transferring down to like you know your 60 class products you know it's it's just it doesn't make sense so i suspect it's just going to be at the absolute high end that we see this crazy stuff as we're seeing now with 3090 ti right and as we saw with um with with 3090 um but yeah i wouldn't be surprised to see a sort of gradual ramping up of of um, power towards the lower end, but certainly not to the sort of degrees that we're seeing here. But, you know, bear in mind that 3080, that was 320 watts, that was not insignificant either. I think a trend has been established, but, you know, once you go down into the more consumer focus cards, then things should hopefully a bit be a bit more manageable from a power consumption, uh, consumption angle. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Um, this one from leftist hominid um, should consoles <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, should consoles have options to force vsync built in at the os level the same way nvidia control panel does on windows pcs alex what do you think i would say yeah that would be nice yeah <laughs> what about i don't know it comes it has to come sort of hand in hand with other options though surely I mean, yeah, I would hope it'd be like much like NVIDIA, uh, where they would offer half, quarter, third, whatever, uh, as well as maybe FastSync, mm-hmm. uh, the equivalent of a real triple buffer. That would be pretty cool. Okay. Any thoughts on this, John? Do you I'm think it's sure. the case that the user should have control of it, uh, but in a kind uh, of here be dragons at your own risk I don't scenario? know. I'm not sure it's that necessary these days, to be honest. I mean most games have vsync to begin with and i mean i guess if you wanted to turn it off 
I don't know why, but you could. Uh, I mean, I know people want to lower their latency, but is, is it really worth it for the eyeball searing nature of screen no tearing? Idea. Like, I don't get it. Uh, and I mean, yeah. you look at something like the Switch, I think like 99.9% of its games have V-Sync. <laughs> I think they all do. I, I've never seen a Switch yeah, game that has. I only been. say I only say that percentage because I feel like there's got to be like a gotcha somewhere. Because on mm-hmm. the Wii U, it was like that where everything was V-Sync except for Darksiders Two. Right? Didn't they almost have to be though? Yeah. Because of the the, the weird display. Something like that. I don't know, but it, it is yeah. e- either way. That's that's the norm. And even on main consoles, I mean, we don't see tearing that often, thankfully. And usually, yeah. when it does appear, in most cases, it's done in a way that's like very intentional right uh okay. where it's so i, I don't know. i'm already seeing people struggling with with just like having stuff like vrr as an option they don't understand what it does and why and you know people turning on options all the time that maybe they shouldn't and just i feel like adding in too much of this stuff is is just going a little bit too far okay. although one option we need i didn't mention earlier but sony still hasn't the auto low latency mode mm. like I'm going to have to keep raising a stink about this each week until they listen because we need an option to turn that off for Christ. It's just, it's stupid. Like on Xbox, you can do this. We don't need ALLM by default for sure. Uh, it locks out features of many TVs. Like we need to be able to turn it off. Come on. <laughs> I think you can have it on by default, but there should be the option to turn it off. Yeah, let, let us toggle <laughs> it off. Exactly, it's it's ridiculous. Like that they would just oh. force that. It's it's a huge pain in the neck. Fair enough. Okay, let's move on to the next question. This one is from Ben Woods. Any plans to cover emulation of Switch games? Metroid Dread emulates fantastically on Ryu Jinx at 4K 120, for example. Uh, I don't know. This one is super super tricky, but you know, where, where do we stand on this? I think from my perspective, mm. it, for a current generation platform, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult because of the privacy implications. Yeah. I think John. it's re I think it's really cool for sure. Uh, but I feel like it's better to play it safe with this stuff. Just, you know, um, in terms of the channel, you mean. yeah, like, like yeah. I, I, I don't want anything to to happen to the channel over that kind of stuff. I've seen things happen in the past with others. It's really not worth it. I mean, if you know about it, you know about it, right? Uh, right. Mm-hmm. Like revisiting PS3 is interesting because it's a dead platform now, and also a lot of games have serious problems on PS3. So it's like emulation is a way to fix it because. Until that, though, I, I'm not actually, like, personally, in terms of actually playing, I don't really enjoy emulation that much. I think it's very, very important and awesome, but it's not something I usually like. But PS3 generation, very specifically, is where you started to see that shift to HD, and it starts to make a lot more sense because the games were basically constrained by the hardware in a way that's not really true of prior generations, by and large. So, and Switch kind of does fall into that, where it, it would benefit, but... Maybe in some years, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, fair mm-hmm. enough. Yeah, it is a tricky one because it is a current generation system still. And um, I think we're quite comfortable with covering emulation of systems that um, uh, you know, dead and buried effectively, like PlayStation 3. We can actually use emulation to revisit games yep. and to uh, provide a new perspective on them. 
Um, but yeah, I think you're right, John. If you know, you, if you know about switch emulation on PC and what it can do, and the example here, Metroid Dread at 4K 120, does sound quite compelling. Um, but at the same time, it just opens up a lot of um, uncomfortable questions we need to answer. And yeah. Um, yeah, specifically, yeah. there are also um, existential issues because you know there's nothing stopping Nintendo issuing a, a takedown. Right Absolutely. or wrong, you don't um, want to mess with them. <laughs> we don't have stuff. much in the way of, of of comeback to anything that happens no. like that. So you know, what can we yeah. do? I'm even like, I don't, I don't really think about switch carts. How would you get the game off the? Well, you know, switch has been hacked, right? So yeah. um, oh, that's how you yeah, do it. Yeah, so okay. you, there's just programs on a hack switch that will just dump them off. And um, oh, that that's useful. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised at this point if the eShop has been hacked. Bearing in mind some of the um, early releases that have happened. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, probably. But, but you know, probably. there we go. Um, I think that also demonstrates that Nintendo is trying to protect their platform, and I uh, don't think we want to interfere with that. No. Okay, uh, let's move on to um, our last question. Last couple of questions, actually. Now there has been some. Uh, accusations in the past that I put together questions that I know will upset the staff. Yes. <laughs> and, and looking at these final two, it looks I like, John, it. it's, it's, your, it's your turn to be uh, oh, targeted. Man. These last two, <laughs> Jesus. Uh, okay, the first one from uh, Tamer Eskander. Sorry about pronunciation issues. <laughs> Hi, lovely DF Foundry crew. Unlike some common arguments out there, I don't believe <laughs> physical media is a good solution for preservation. Might be okay for the short term, but in the long term, physical media and hardware will, will eventually become unusable. <laughs> Digital yeah. and emulation are the way to go for long-term preservation. What we desperately need is the industry coming together and agreeing on digital preservation standards. For example, dropping any DRM after 24 months of a game release and allowing owners to make digital backups of their games. Thoughts? Well, John, obviously the first bit is bait. <laughs> Looking at your physical collection there. But the second point seems reasonable. No, I mean, actually, it's completely reasonable. I, I do agree with him. Uh, physical media, for instance, like I actually think digital DRM free ways of storing stuff is going to be the ultimate way to preserve these games. That's actually the key for me personally. Physical media isn't necessarily just about preservation. It's more about having my own personal access to these things without relying on external services, which often don't work uh, or render things inaccessible. Right. So that's, that's for me. That's for, that's the ownership side. That's not directly about true preservation. Uh, actual preservation is indeed stuff like this. Problem is I don't think any companies outside of a select few, certainly not in the console space are going to be okay with dropping DRM. Uh, I just don't see it ever happening. You know what I mean? Like GOG doing stuff with, DRM free releases is fantastic, but they're pretty much alone on that by and large, I think. And that's just for PC games anyway. And, you know, so if you want to store this stuff, unfortunately, we're still leaning on the pirates and that sucks. And you know what? I'll tell you that I'm doing it. I'm doing a video right now and I was looking back at prior games and there's a game that these guys made that I never picked up even though it sat as a trial on my hard drive for years, called Omega 5 for Xbox 360. 
I always liked the demo a lot. And somehow, you know, I just, I never picked it up. And I think it's just, you know, I wasn't into digital downloads at all back then. And I let it go. And I was like, you know what? I should finally get that. And I look and I realize it's actually been delisted for years. And you cannot buy it at all. It is not purchasable. Uh, And that absolutely sucks, I think. Because now there's this game I suddenly wanted wanted to try. If there had been a physical version, I could have picked that up and been happy to, to own it. Uh, but I guess for now, you just have to rely on piracy essentially, which at that point, is it even piracy? Cause they're not selling it to you anymore, but I don't know. Those, those types of frustrating situations really annoy me with the digital marketplaces, the, the combination of DRM and delisting games and all this stuff. It just sucks. And that's why ultimately I would like physical media to persist for my own good, but then also there should be ways to preserve this stuff digitally in a way that's free of DRM. And that's the tricky part that I just don't, I don't understand how you could ever convince a company to have a vested interest in that because ultimately they're not interested in, in just preserving this stuff just for the sake of it. They're interested in making money. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah. I would say Xbox's stuff isn't actually preservation either because everything is DRM and server-based, right? Nobody's doing it. Not one of the consoles actually have real preservation that's accessible to the consumer. Uh, so it just they're doing it best in terms of surfacing their back catalog for sure, but it's not the same. So it is a different thing. Okay, that sounds fair enough. Uh, okay, uh, final question, which surely this one's going to wind you up oh yeah <laughs> andre Surles, retro stream how about a geforce now like experience for emulation yeah get out of there <laughs> the thing is there is such a service that exists uh it was called Antstream. do you remember what? that yeah no i, I know <laughs> Why, why isn't this a good idea? Let's let's sort of, you know, try and approach All right. it from a balanced perspective. <laughs> Fundamentally, I have never seen the problem of actual frame persistence solved via streaming. Not once. I've done streaming at HQs with these gigantic fat pipes corrected, di- connected directly to their servers. I've seen the absolute best case scenario for these things. I've had people tell me, this looks great, doesn't it? The engineers, this is perfect. It's not perfect. (laughs) Nobody's been able to solve this. And I think the entire focus on solving the streaming problem has been focused around input latency. How do we get the input lag down? And that's obviously very important, but the inconsistent nature of what network traffic tends to look like means that you also have to compromise on frame delivery to some degree. because you're trying to get it there as fast as possible, but it doesn't necessarily get there at, at these flawless intervals that you need to deliver a perfectly smooth experience. And especially when you get into the weird refresh rates of emulation, uh, it gets even crazier, I think, right? So I just don't believe that such a service could offer truly a smooth experience that you really want from these types of services. It would, it would fall solely in the kind of sort of good enough category where your average person might be like, oh, this is fine and be okay with it. And, you know, that's fine. I I don't want to take that away from anybody. They should, they should have those services, but that's why personally I'm not in favor of them because I just, I don't know, even if they solve that and I, I haven't seen any indication that it's, is that easily solvable. 
there's still you still sacrificing image quality because obviously you need to compress the video somehow so you are losing image quality to the stream uh it's just never like solving input latency is just one part of the puzzle and it's the other parts that i just don't think are even remotely acceptable right now except for like on a quick if you're playing something streamed on your phone and you're like at a place and you want to take a you know, it's be like, hey, I'm playing this at an airport. Isn't that cool? Uh, while just not really paying attention. Like, I don't know. Like, it's <laughs> also over over like networks, like cell phone networks. Like, that's that's really bad. Oh my gosh! Like, don't even bother. So I don't know. That, <laughs> this is why the streaming stuff winds me up because if it were ever to become the only way, and I don't think it will, uh, it's just I don't think that they can offer an experience I would be ever happy with in terms of actually playing. Yeah. And also, does the ownership stuff. And it also goes into that past question, like how are you going to preserve this stuff when you don't even have access to the files anymore? And it's just one big ball of bad. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so Andre's question here, retro stream. He seems to be suggesting a service where you stream retro games. Oh, I know. I think, I think this is a bad idea on like it's such a bad idea every front because a lot of these games <laughs> are going to have like their actual original data footprint, storage footprint. <laughs> It's going to be like, I don't know, oh, yeah. maybe, you know, five seconds of streaming footage. Yeah. <laughs> even less. Less than that. You know. Less than, you know, po- you know, maybe even a frame. You know, that's when you, if you go back to like, you know, Atari VCS or whatever, <laughs> you know, the, the actual amount of data used for the game is like virtually non existent. Man, that's hilarious. I, I wasn't even thinking about that, but because I was just thinking yeah, about streaming it's... in general, but you're right. Like, why would you waste all that bandwidth streaming a video <laughs> signal of another device playing one of those games and the game itself is like a You mid. could just download the game and an emulator, right? That would be the yeah. logic. I mean, that was the thing that always struck me when I got the PR through for Antstream, which is apparently about streaming uh, retro games. Why, why are you streaming games that have, you know, have got a tiny footprint? You know, that's, that doesn't make sense from no. any perspective. <laughs> it's ludicrous. Secondly, all of those games were, um, you know, designed around technologies that had virtually instant response, you know, the CRT and um, no frame buffers. So yeah. you're, adding, you're, you're adding a huge amount of lag to those experiences. Also, so, like, are, are the compression algorithms even well-suited to pixel graphics? Because no. in testing, uh, like I was <laughs> playing around with, with the Xbox streaming services a little bit, and I found that the more visually detailed games worked a lot better than if I tried to stream a pixel art game. Trying to do that like via xCloud, it always looked awful. It was like basically I would consider unplayable. So it seems like these services really struggle with that type of visual anyway. Or like what about like a, imagine streaming PlayStation 1 games, right? With that full screen of dither, everything is super dithered everywhere, right? So you have these individual per pixel patterns all over the screen. I mean, it's like a nightmare for a stream, for a stream, right? And the fact that nothing ever sits still. No, exactly. It's all wobbly and, un- <laughs> and unstable. Like it's just, I don't, it's not. It seems like a like a really bad idea. <laughs> I'm excited now to see what the heck the the PlayStation Three streaming is going to look like when they bring out the service again. I mean, PS3 I really games are already muddy the... and blurry anyway, so I know, right? Maybe it's actually an improved cinematic experience. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, it's like Netflix. That is an interesting question, right? How is uh, PlayStation now, as it's going to be rebranded into PlayStation Plus, going to look? And I suspect it's going to be exactly as we've seen it before but i'm certain, <laughs> i'm certainly going to be interested in giving it a go uh, because 
you know, it's now being used, being brought to the forefront of Sony's marketing. But historically, oh. it hasn't gone well for um, PlayStation now. I mean, some people seem perfectly happy with it, and fair enough. But, you know, their minds would be blown if they actually saw the actual PS3 version. Oh, I know. Like, right <laughs> after we posted that Metal Gear Solid 4 emulation video, it became obvious people were posting that they're actually removing Metal Gear Solid 4 from that streaming service before this whole new PlayStation Plus stuff goes live. And I'm thinking, like, oh, that's weird. one of the few games on PlayStation 3 that has no alternative version anywhere, really. Uh, why would you take that off the service? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's weird. Yeah, it's utterly Phenomenal. bizarre. But, you know, there we go. I look forward to maybe, you know, at some point in the future, there does actually become a use case where, you know, I can just imagine John Linneman thumbs up. This is a really good streaming service. <laughs> It's not going to happen, though, is it? Over. <laughs> yeah. When I'm 80, like 82, be like, yeah, they finally did it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, well, that's it. That's our show. Uh, please do like, subscribe, share if you enjoyed the content. Uh, ring the bell for those notionally instant notifications. Uh, I saw a tweet the other day from somebody who says he got a notification and the screenshot Amazing. showed that he wasn't actually, uh, had, hadn't actually run the bell. <laughs> <laughs> that's great got the notification but yeah. yeah somehow he got the notifications and somehow this <sighs> this system could actually be be, be better than <sighs> who knows but anyway uh yes uh, notionally instant notifications uh df supporter program join us uh get your questions answered in df direct weekly speak to us on the discord server grab high quality downloads of everything we do tons of bonus materials uh, exclusives it's awesome and, and remember this is a podcast too so you can find it on your favorite podcast, podcast services, right? oh yeah, yeah of course yeah favorite podcast. podcasting setup whatever we should be on all of them all of the relevant ones anyway anyway that's it that's the show and uh, we're going to see you next week <laughs>